Um, but reorienting your financial model and reorienting your business model away from acute care towards accountable care is a real challenge when you have the overhead of, of, a, of a hospital system. Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Uh, I have a great guest in the building with me today. I have Jonas Goldstein, Vice President of Strategy and Product Marketing at Vim. Vim, Vim sorry. Uh, Jonas, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Corey. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, before we get going into the conversation, how about you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what gets you up in the morning? Yeah, uh, definitely. As you said, uh, I'm at a, a Vim. We're a point of care connection platform. and I lead the uh, strategy and product marketing function there. Um, in, in terms of, of what gets me up in the morning, you know, I'm, I'm a person who's just very personally connected to, to my work. Uh, I get a lot of meaning out of it. I'm uh, going to be in this health system improvement game for life. Uh, it's kind of my, it, it is my thing, you know, when you find your thing and um, you, you find good professional opportunities to let you work on that day in and day out. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I find the system to be so fascinating. I, I find the mission to be so inspiring. Um, and there's just so many opportunities for improvement. And so, you know, my, my why for getting up in the morning is um, how to create different kinds of organizations that you can use technology to make care better at scale. Uh, and I think there's really been few few times in the in the history of, of the health system, a uh, few better times to to be involved in, in organizations like that. Um, the the environment's right, and the, the technology's there, and and the, um, the the climate is is changing so quickly. And uh, I find I find myself very fortunate to to kind of be at this intersection of of timing and opportunity right now. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about what what that is, like what you're doing at Vim, and yeah. what what gets you so excited about? Because of what you said with the healthcare system, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on. There's a lot that needs to be improved. But what is it specifically that you're doing over there at them that that gets gets you gets you ramped up? Yeah. So you know, I'll, I'll say out front, this is the, actually the first time that I've been at a full on technology company. Uh, my my background is really more in um, finance and delivery improvement. I've really been on more of the manual side of, of healthcare, you know, in terms of, of doing process improvement and um, uh, care model transformation and consulting and that, that kind of thing. And and one thing that I noted in in over a decade doing that, you know, working with with health systems and medical groups and, and health plans and employers that were really trying to make the system better, um, was just how much got uh, hung up, uh, kind of good intentions 
that uh, found themselves kind of dashed to pieces uh, on the rocks of technology that wasn't built to enable the kind of systems that they were trying to create. Uh, how does a health plan's data system talk to a provider's EHR uh, or talk to a, a provider's whatever clinical interface they're in at the point of care to basically digitize the last mile um, between data that ought to be in workflow but isn't um, and those moments in care uh, where users of, of that data, oftentimes healthcare providers or, or their teams, uh, are ready to, to use it to help a patient. Uh, and so that's really what Vim does. We're a point-to-care connection platform. Um, we have a market-leading technology that allows us to quickly and easily connect into existing electronic health record interfaces um, on the provider side. And we use that, that connection to essentially take things that they were hunting through spreadsheets or going to portals or getting manually or, or just kind of uh, hunting and gathering as one of our customers taught me to, to, to think of it as. Um, and we make that available to them in real time in a dynamic way. Uh, kind of push the easy button on having the data where you need it, when you need it, and then actually optimize some workflows for them. So not just spotlighting the data um, at the right moment in, in time, but actually automating some processes and reaching into the workflow through our, our deep workflow technology to actually save them some time, to save them some clicks and some time and and kind of uh, make digital what was formerly analog in, in terms of, of the processes that are required to make care better. It's just making the, the back end so much easier to work so you can help, help that patient improve a lot faster because Everything is is data right now. I mean, everything is data. You need it, but there's there's so much to do to get the data. I feel like some things kind of get left out just because there's just there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to get through. If that makes sense. I think that's right, and I think you know um, there's so much data that goes unleveraged because it isn't where it ought to be. Uh, and so there's all sorts of, you know, smart data models and analytics companies that are doing great work to make sense out of big, messy data sets. And, you know, for example, uh, determine which cardiologists are practicing evidence-based medicine and are um, practicing a conservative style of medicine that's leading to better outcomes for their patients and, and keeping costs down. Um, there's lots of data models trying to identify those folks, and they're getting sharper every day. What there's less of is the connection of those recommendations into the moment where a primary care provider wants to pick the best cardiologist for their patient. Right now, it's all out of workflow, right? You bump out of your EHR into a portal. Maybe there's a laminated list behind the, the, the computer screen taped to the wall. Um, it's all very manual, and it requires a lot of, um, as I said, hunting and gathering. You connect that data into the moment when it can be used is when you start to really see the promise fulfilled, which is that that data leads to better outcomes, uh, better performance in terms of quality and cost and patient experience. That's the, that's the dream and that, that's really kind of what we exist to solve. Can you explain a little bit of what risk sharing is and you know, how is that um, a, really a benefit not only to the, uh, the, or, the healthcare organization, but to the patient? Yeah, of course. Um, so the concept of risk sharing is it really has to do a lot to do with accountability, uh, right? And so there are, are kind of two poles of the spectrum, two ends of the spectrum in terms of how care gets paid for. One is that for every procedure, um, for every visit, for every surgery, for every poke, prod, zap, 
you know, scan, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, um, that health plan sends that doctor a check for that specific service. Um, and as it turns out, when you do that, people um, get more services. Uh, and there isn't any real incentive for, for high quality or high or, or great experience. Uh, you know, every doctor goes into medicine wanting to, to, to work for the better health of their patients, but they also have businesses to run. Um, and uh, people do the things that they're paid for, right, in terms of, of keeping the lights on. Um, now, on the other end of that spectrum is is the idea of giving a health plan and a physician, um, ideally kind of in some combination there, but increasingly making the physician accountable, um, giving them a set amount of money to take care of a set population of patients, um, making sure they're, they're, they're compensated appropriately for those patients and that they have good quality and experience safeguards to make sure that care is provided like it should be and the patient experience is great and there's protection from any kind of limitation of, of care. Um, and then asking that physician to just do the right thing for patients. And that, that means keeping them out of the hospital. It means making sure they have um, all the screenings and, and medication checks and um, kind of blocking and tackling down on any chronic conditions they might have. It means giving better access to them uh, so they can get in and see the doctor and without you know going to urgent care or the ER. But what happens there is you actually end up by creating accountability, you also share risk for the cost and quality of that patient's experience. And so if the patient ends up costing a lot more money on average across your population, there's downside risk to that in the sense that a provider organization might end up accountable for overruns. Uh, And so that's what we mean by risk sharing. The reason that's better for the patient is that value-based accountable care is just fundamentally different in the way that it can enable a patient experience. You know, you think about um, a, a, a provider system who wants to set up a good system of accountable care. If they're on fee for service, they're going to run you through 10, 15 minute visits a day, right? Like you're, it's that, that treadmill of, of primary care, seeing 18, 20 patients a day running from yeah. room to room because they have to do it to satisfy the economics. You switch them to risk. And actually what you can do is incentivize them to spend more time with each patient um, because they're going to build relationships. They're going to be able to review medications. They're going to be able to really hear problems that are going on in people's lives and get to know folks so that they can then manage their care in the long term. So you change their incentives from volume-based care to value-based care. And that's fundamentally better for patients. It's a better experience. Uh, it's better to have your, your provider, you know, kind of responsible for your health uh, to, to be more of a team and, and to be less episodic and less disjointed in the, in the care experience that some people can experience in more of the fee-for-service environment. Right. It's, mo- it's more of a patient-centered care approach. But why do you feel like, Jonas, and granted, I, I haven't worked in every single healthcare organization in the world, so I'm just... You know what I mean? But there are, I can only assume there are a lot of clinics or hospitals that may be pushing back on this because they're just so used to the fee for service. How can a clinic or, or um, a hospital prepare? Because it seems like this value-based care thing is coming, whether we, whether they like it or not, is it's going to be how it goes, but how can they start to prepare themselves to, to really be able to be profitable during, with the value-based care model? Yeah, yeah, that's a that that is the three trillion dollar question. So, to speak. Um, so, you know, I think that answer is really different depending on what you mean by provider, right? And you said a few, a couple types of them: hospital systems and, and community based yeah. primary care. On the hospital system side, it's a challenge because those organizations have big old cost structures. They've got really entrenched ways of doing business. Uh, a lot of them resolve around having people in hospital beds. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of paper performance mechanisms that are, that are built into to, to hospital finance, and, and that's changing quickly. Um, but reorienting your financial model and reorienting your business model away from acute care 
towards accountable care is a real challenge when you have the overhead of, of, a, of a hospital system. And so uh, there are you know, things that the smart ones are doing in terms of investing in quality, investing in you know, reducing length of stay, investing in um, being the preferred location you know, for the higher end services that will always be fee for service, um, you know, some of the, the more tertiary or, or quaternary care needs. Um, on the physician side, on the community physician side, there's actually some, we know a lot about that at this point. We know what a, a, a physician organization needs to do, the, the core competencies they need to have in terms of, of readiness for, for this change. Um, the harder part is the how, actually. Um, the par- harder part is getting especially the smaller practices, uh, independent physicians, but also some of the mid-sized groups, the resources and the support they need to actually make this transition. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of where we see Vim in the equation is that there's a whole technology rock that you have to crack when you're looking to connect to external data in ways that enable you to practice value-based care. And what we want to do is really de-risk the technology component of that. Part of that's related to our tech and the way that we make it really easy for, for physicians to connect without all the kind of IT team time and, and, and the legacy, um, you know, HL7 standard setup and things like that. Um, but part of it is also the business model in the sense that we are a primarily health plan funded organization where our health plans, you know, the Anthems, Uniteds, the Florida Blues, they are some of the most progressive in the country. And they're actually making investments in what we think of as provider enablement. And Vim is part of the investment and in provider enablement they're making. They're saying, hey, I, as the health plan, I'm going to finance this enablement technology that will connect into your practice and allow you to make the transition from volume-based care to value-based care. Um, we can talk a little about some of the applications that we deploy into those into those interfaces, but um, that really is kind of the, the readiness journey. Um, there's all sorts of kind of capital needs and, and team trainings and, and, and clinical leadership that has to happen at the local level. But um, fundamentally, there's also this technology challenge. That's really where, where we where we kind of exist to, to help with that problem. Yeah. You, you said something about, you know, independent providers. And that's one thing I didn't even think about, like, because you're so used to, you know, working, you know, I work for a, a federally qualified health health center. So I don't really have a lot of those those fears, I guess, or like those stressors as what someone who's just on their own, seeing their own patients, seeing this coming down the pipeline has to really worry about. Yeah. Although I think, you know, even in, in the FQHC environment, um, the resource constraints and the, yes. oh, yeah. um, I mean, that's real. And, you know, it's interesting. We have seen, this is something that surprised, I think, a lot of our team. Um, it's something I've learned a lot about is that as we go out into these health plans networks, some of the strongest uptake we've seen is in FQHCs because they really are eager to gain insights about their population that comes to see them. Um, they don't always have longitudinal um, uh, relationships to, to draw from in their, in their health system di- in, in, in their data and they're resource constrained because they are the organizations that you know see see folks that that maybe have um, low reduced payment models and and how their their plans re- reimburse and so the operating environment is really challenging. So we've seen actually a lot of partnerships with FQHCs. Really, really, it's interesting. It, it makes sense. I mean, it, does, it does, right? It does. It makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, um, yeah. With with all the, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in in them. So like with. With the data that you're you're getting, and the kind of the, the story you're able to tell uh, from from that data, is it is it something like where a provider can really um, at that right at that moment they can they can make a decision on how they can best provide that care for that 
for that patient instead of having to wait or figure out what what it should be. They can, they can really tell that story right there. Yeah, you got it. Um, it really is that. That's kind of that's that's a nice distilled um, version of, of what it really is. Um, you know, think about our, our core use cases that we we deploy across plans and providers have to do with quality gaps. Um, where, you know, a, a person with a given chronic illness, you know, has, has certain qual- things they should receive on a, in, within a given time period. Ha- has that person received those things? Have they see- received a colorectal screening? Have they um, uh, received, a, a, you know, a, a, an eye check for, for a patient with diabetes, an A1C check, things like that? Um, and then there's also uh, diagnosis gaps, which comes back to risk adjustment and risk sharing, making sure that organizations who are taking care of patients and, and uh, are responsible for the totality of their care and cost are reimbursed appropriately and able to, and, uh, able to, to really make the investment in, in patient care. So quality gaps, um, diagnosis gaps, referral guidance, where uh, that is essentially when a, a primary care physician is getting ready to uh, refer a patient to a, a specialist colleague. Uh, how do they make that decision? Uh, how do they know which which of the, the kind of cardiologists out there is, is practicing in the, the right way for, for their uh, patient in terms of, of uh, uh, quality and, and overall cost of care and, and care patterns? Uh, prior authorization streamlining, so something that, that gums up a lot of provider operations, uh, checking the prior auth portal and, and phone calls and faxes back and forth with health plans. We can streamline that by connecting directly to the EHR and plugging that into backend payer uh, prior auth workflows, um, uh, eligibility uh, and things that make kind of general patient information more available to, to providers to, to kind of streamline operational things. And then patient health history, uh, which is essentially um, a, a usually a 12 to 13 month look back on what's happened in that patient's life. So you think about a patient that shows up to your FQHC or to um, someone else, anyone else in, in a provider community, um, the provider kind of knows what's in their EHR. And, you know, there are um, HIEs that connect into um, into, into EHRs and, and are, are connecting the dots a little bit. But having that claim space record of the last year, um, it just offers a world of value as you see a new patient, as you kind of see if prescriptions have been filled that you might have expected to be filled, as you try to track kind of events in a patient life that happened outside of your office. It's that knowledge at the point of care that we're really trying to enable. That's awesome. What about those people that are just just aren't sold yet? Like they they are they are about that fee for you know fee for service life. They're like value based care. What what's that? I don't I don't care. I don't, it's not happening. What about those people? If if you had to try to change their mind on one thing, like what would that what would that be? You know, I I um. I am not a mind changer. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I think I've, uh, I've 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 tried and failed to change too many minds in my in my life that that I, I've I've learned that that's not a great way to spend your time. But I think um, most informed observers at the moment would acknowledge that to some degree this train has left the station. Um, you know the Medicare Advantage momentum, uh, the fact that you know. 42, 43% of America's seniors now are in Medicare Advantage plans. And that number grows, you know, every year, um, the, the growth in that, that, that plan, um, the survival of the ACA markets and, and those, those being pretty much value-based care because they're risk adjusted and have some, some component of quality, uh, the increasing shift from uh, on the employer side into a desire for, for quality and cost accountability. This isn't going away. Um, and I think especially on the ambulatory side and the outpatient primary care world, you'll be hard pressed, I think, to find folks that aren't pretty ready for this, actually, because the truth of the matter is, is that this payment model is going to tip the scales of power 
towards the folks who control patient relationships and kind of have the broadest impact over overall cost and quality of care. And that is primary care, who, by the way, are kind of at the lower end of the totem pole in terms of the financial rewards from fee-for-service. And so many of our provider partners are more in the bring it on camp. Um, you know, there are always folks who are going to have a, a, a foot in two canoes and, and it's, it's, a, it's inevitable that that's happening out in the, in the ecosystem now. It's, it is why we've kind of balanced our applications. It's not only just for um, value-based care centric providers because our health plans know that. They know they can't only work in that pocket of the market that's really leaning in. They have to actually make their whole network more ready over time. Uh, and so offering things like the prior authorization, streamlining, uh, patient health history, uh, network validation for referrals they're making, stuff that's going to save them operational time. While, by the way, connecting them to care, the, to data that's going to be relevant for value-based care as their you know business environment changes, uh, it's a nice mix. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what's what do you see? What's what's next for for them? You know, you guys seem like you got a great product, a great platform. What do you see the the future looking like? Yeah, uh, it's an exciting time. We've got a lot of growth right now. Um, you know, we are are, are growing kind of um, uh, quick, very quickly here. You know, we're we're connecting to to fifty or, or sixty new provider groups. You know, every every thirty days, uh, and that that's a phenomenal rate rate wow. of growth. We're seeing uh, pretty amazing engagement data. Uh, you know, there's always the um, will they use it component. Uh, <laughs> right. Even if you think it's a great idea, you know, it's uh, and, and and very rewarding to see that people are in fact uh, engaging with the, the the software at rates that you know, um, uh, frankly, are, are kind of impressive even to us. Uh, and just the feedback we're getting from the front lines is, is really exciting. So in terms of our approach, you know, we're a multi-payer platform, uh, and so we seek to add more and more health plans. Uh, to our, our our data over time, we think about like two sides of our business. There's like the content, and there's our users, right? And so we seek to basically grow both of those sides. We seek to add more and more content because, frankly, we can build an awesome product that can be the most meaningful thing in the world. But if I'm only covering 15% of the patients that you see a day at your at your organization, it's never going to truly really kind of break through for you. And so what I want to do is add more and more pay- health plans in your market to make it more and more relevant for you, and add more and more value to your life as a as a, as a provider. On the other side, uh, as a health plan, I'm looking for an organization that can connect me into as many of my provider network endpoints as possible. Um, and so as our network grows, and, and you know, I mentioned kind of the, the growth per month, um, both of those things are, are kind of a, a mutually reinforcing cycle. We get more users and we're able to grab more content. And as we get more content, we're, we're relevant for more users. And, and it's really just a matter now of, of kind of running that flywheel um, and uh, continuing to, to refine our product and, and add new partners and, and, and kind of build the, build the organization. That's awesome. Well, Jonas, thank you so much for being on with me today. Um, I really appreciate it. If anybody wanted to learn more about you or more about the company, where can they, where can they find you? Yeah, of course. Um, so our, our website's getvim.com. Um, and uh, I would, would encourage you to check us out there. And then my personal you know, email is, is uh, jonas at getvim.com. And I'm, I'm always happy to, to meet new folks uh, that are working in the space or that are interested by, by any of these topics. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. You know, enjoyed the, enjoyed the conversation. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you so much again for being on. And uh, everybody, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll holler at you next time. 